everyone, this is Greg Aiden with Aiden Leadership for another episode of Servant Leadership. And today I have the pleasure of reintroducing you to Mark Crowley. We had a, a podcast done several months ago and we decided to uh, make it even better. Not only the audio, but the intention around some of the questions. So uh, let me start out today and welcome you from California, Mark. And how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again, Greg. Good to see you. Mark, you know, I think the world of you, I follow you big time on Twitter at Mark C. Crowley. Uh, and I'm saying that again, so people can can find out who you are and where you live. I know you're big there. But uh, tell us, you just said off camera that you finished your second book. Tell us about your first one and why you why you wrote that one. And I believe it'd be interesting for me as just as a one listener, but I believe it'd be interesting for all the listeners to find out why the second book and, and what is it about? Well, it's actually the same book, although the, the, the second edition, ironically, is a new book. So um, that's not confusing. The, um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the name of the, the book is called Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. And it's hard for me to believe this, but I wrote it 11 years ago. It came out 10 and a half years ago. And the title alone, Greg, might as well have been Kick Me or Author Doesn't Understand Business. That's how people interpreted the lead from the heart. Sure. And so, and actually, and I've, I've told the story recently because I actually included the story in the second edition that when I came out of a corporate environment and wrote the book, and had no platform and nobody knew who I was. And then I have this title that's off-putting to people because they misinterpreted it. And so I'm in trouble. So uh, my speaking agent said, there's a woman that will help you. She'll help you kind of figure out a strategy. And so I paid her $10,000. She read my book and she read a couple articles that I'd written at the time. And she came back and she goes, okay, I'm going to give you plan A and plan B. You're not going to want plan A. I want you to go with plan A, but I have a plan B. Okay. And I said, just give me plan A. And she <laughs> goes, you're going to fucking fail if you continue to use the expression lead from the heart. Oh, wow. And what she was really trying to tell me at the time, because this is probably, you know, this is probably seven, eight years ago, was really that the world isn't ready for leading with any amount of heart. That's not the real world and nobody's going to take you seriously. And if you want to starve for the next decade, then continue to use it. And so I realized, you know, I mean, I, I kiddingly said, did you cash the check? Because like, this is what I'm paying <laughs> you for. But I also kind of realized that what she was doing was forewarning me. And, and I kind of knew that, you know, I knew it, but I also have science that this is the differentiating part of the book, which shows that the heart is actually a feeling sensing organ that's connected to the mind and it influences our choices and our behaviors far more than people understand. And frankly, more than, more than our rational behavior is like up to 95% of our behavior is driven that way. So I put that book out and the good news is that education embraced it. It's been taught in nine universities. Um, as of yesterday, it was back being an Amazon bestseller, the original version, so 10 and a half years later. Yeah. But it still has been a very difficult road for me. And everything she, everything she predicted in terms of you're going to be met with resistance was true. So 
I always believed, Greg, that there was going to be this moment in time where there would be a tipping point. I didn't know what was going to cause it. I didn't know what, what was going to be the influence over it. I just knew that people would resonate with this message at some point in time. Now, if somebody said, it's going to take you 10 and a half years before it happened, I probably would have gone back to work, right? Yeah. But instead, what I've been doing is really trying to be the Pied Piper for this message. But it was a pandemic. Yeah. that brought us to our knees. Yeah. And that's really what brought me to writing the second edition, which is um, updating it, reinforcing it, adding new information that I didn't have 10 years ago to reconfirm that everything I wrote about 10 years ago is spot on and has to be the future of leadership. Well, let's call a thing a thing. First of all, it, it, nine years ago, 10 years ago, even seven years ago, I, I can factually look you in the eye and say, no one would have supported me saying lead from the heart or even servant leadership or heart led leadership. All those things were viewed as, why are you being such a wuss or soft yeah, or right. vulnerable? And with all due respect to, to Brene Brown, who has taken the word vulnerability and being vulnerable to a whole new level, but it took her a while to get the followers that she, she might've thought. But what I love about you, Mark, is you come at everything very directly uh, you're kind, but direct. And I believe you push people or you challenge people to think differently. And everything you just said to me completely resonates. And I know it resonates with a lot of the, the listeners, but I, I want you to, to maybe to uh, put in brief why you believe now, and you, you said it, uh, the pandemic brought us to our knees, but why do you believe now, whether it's your book or anyone else's book, that leading from the heart is absolutely critical. Well, it's more than listening from our heart. It's really behaving from our heart and Beautiful. keeping the mind and the heart in balance. Okay. But I think, you know, the, the first thing that I would say to you is that I had this belief. So I, I wrote the book. I literally wrote the, the second half of the book thinking that was going to be the book. Mm -hmm. And somebody said to me, you're going to have to explain why this works. And I realized, you know, if I didn't do that, then people would just say, well, that worked for him, but that's not going to work for everybody. And so I spent a year looking for research and in the process found, you know, major, major research coming out right then that showed that the heart, like we've misinterpreted, it's not just this pump. So now I'm realizing I have something to say here. Like I have something like apocryphal, like amazing to say. And I believe that CEOs once they understood that we've been managing people entirely misaligned to human nature, that they would go, well, then we need to embrace this. And that's not what happened. What's happened is, is that in that two year period, so basically we're talking two years ago, right around now, Yes. everybody went back to their homes, but it wasn't like they went to their lazy boy chairs to work. Their kids were home with them. Their spouse was home with them. They were in cramped spaces. They didn't have all the equipment. This pandemic created this environment of um, great distress in people. And so if you're working for a boss, and so we'll just describe you, right? You have a son, he's at school. Now he's at home with you. You have a wife, she's working. You're trying to manage all of that. You're not seeing your coworkers anymore. Your life is disrupted. Plus we have this like life-threatening virus. Everybody's upset. And then you have the boss go, hey, Greg, um, when are you going to get me that report? 
or, um, you know, hey, I need to talk to you right now. And, and your kid's screaming in the background and he's not getting his, you know, in online properly. And you're like, hey, this isn't the good time for me to talk. And it's like, well, I, I just need you to tell me where are you on this? And, you know, you're going to meet this. And you can feel that the way that I just described this, I don't care about you. I don't care about your son. I don't care about the challenges that you're facing. I just care about what's going on here. Yeah. And so I think people had the same epiphany all over the world, which is, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to work for an organization and I don't want to work for a boss who doesn't say, hey, Greg, is this a good time to talk? Or let me ask you, when would be a good time to talk with all the challenges that you have? How can I make your life better? And so that's really what, what brought it here. So share with me your thoughts on how leaders can lead from the heart and get things accomplished and hold people accountable. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, you know, if you were to ask people who used to work for me in my 25 year career in, in a rough and tumble financial services world, if you went up to those people and say, the author of Lead from the Heart, you used to work for him. So I'm remembering the name of his book. What's the one word that you would use to describe Mark Crowley? Mm. And they would go, demanding. Mm -hmm. it, heart would not come up first. Now, would it come up? Absolutely. So like, did, did I lead the way that I've written about and have talked about for all this time? No one would ever question that. At the same time, I believe that if I'm caring about you so much that I'm growing you, developing you, teaching you, coaching you, encouraging you, making you feel safe, making you know how much I appreciate having you, creating a psychologically and emotionally safe work environment, I've, I have created an environment for you that basically is the optimal environment. So from my point of view, like if I'm going to do all that, and I'm, it's not quid pro quo, at the same time, it's like, you should be killing it. Like, I made your world so great mm -hmm. that if you like doing this work, then you should be doing great work. So it's, I, it's not all heart, Greg. And I think that's I one of the things that people need to understand. It's, it's, it's really the both. But your point earlier about it's a lack of empathy. You know, there's a, the, the CEO of better.com, you're probably familiar with this. Uh -huh. um, he decides he's going to let 900 people go and he does it all in one Zoom call. Brought all 900 people and it's like, off you go. Sorry, we got to let you go. I mean, just a brutal, unthoughtful, uncaring way of letting people go. Um, the board sent him on a little retreat and said, you know, you, you need to do some self-reflection if you're going to be the CEO of this company. So he did that. He came back. They said, oh, he's now going to be, you know, the Zen master of leadership here. He's learned his lesson. And so yesterday it was announced that he let 3,000 employees go. And in the process of doing that, word leaked out somehow. And so everybody in the company was panicked. You know, am I going to be the one? Am I going to be the one? So they decided, let's cool our jets and let's not do this. Let's not, not do it, but let's just delay it. Let's just kind of be able to back out and communicate to people and tell them what's going on. But they sent people their severance checks so people were opening up their mail and getting severance checks and finding out that they had been laid off without any communication because nobody thought to tell payroll or whomever was responsible for it to stop it. Oh, wow. And so I look at that and I think, okay, 
when I was a manager, if I had made that decision, the very instinctive thing that I would do is like, stop the presses, make sure that nobody gets a check, right. but he doesn't care. And so there's, the world is, is filled with plenty of those people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the people that work for him obviously have very distasteful feelings for the way he handles people and his lack of respect. But it's really common that we do things that we don't realize that really are leaning into what do I need versus what you need. Mm-hmm. And, and people were afraid to say anything to a manager or supervisor who tr- treated them like shit because they were afraid that they, they would say, okay, you don't like it here. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Yeah. Right. And that's that's just more to your behavioral issues of, of a poor leader, in my opinion. So let's talk about the other side of the coin. Let's talk about what some of the great leaders or good leaders have have learned to become great or probably in larger numbers, if, if you would agree with me, are the average managers and leaders who have now said, hmm, I can actually change the way I show up for other people provide a, a better or happier well-being, a more suitable well-being, if you will, not necessarily throwing money at the problem, but maybe throwing heart or compassion or understanding or time. But so if, if you had 65, 70 CEOs or leaders listening to you right now, uh, what would you what would you say to them? Other than read your book. I, 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 the, it, this is a question that I can answer directly. It's It's really clear to me. If we need to change the model of who we select into management roles, if you're managing numbers, if you're managing accounting and you don't have people under you, all bets are off. You know, we don't, it doesn't really matter. If you're managing another human being, if there is an evidence that you have a history of caring about their growth, their success, their well being, then that's a deal killer. Like we, you should never, and so we reverse it and we go, can Greg drive numbers? Can get Greg get results? Does he have a history of that? And, and then we go, well, you know, he seems like a likable enough person. So, you know, he, he should work out fine. And it doesn't work out that way because when they get under pressure and they're not hitting their numbers, they go out and they go, hey, you know, it, you know things are going to get really tough around here if you don't start getting your numbers in and all of a sudden we go to fear and intimidation and micromanagement because the manager isn't securing themselves and doesn't really care about that impact right. so if we just made that one change that could i mean the ripple effect of that would be amazing because people are basically saying i will not work for somebody who's like, who really is Toxic is the language. Right. Yeah. The other piece that I would that I absolutely advocate for, and I proposed this like five or six years ago, and people just thought like this makes no sense to me. But I want to rename the word manager and call them coaches. Mm-hmm. And the reason is is and and so people were like, well, why can't you just ask them to coach and make them a manager and like ask them to continue to be a manager? And it's largely because coach orients you in a different mindset than being a manager does. I'm here to coach you. I'm not here to manage you. Now, people say, well, but, you know, they still need to manage. So you need to call the managers. If you look at sports, particularly my best example is collegiate sports. Mm -hmm. The head coach for, you know, any top football program, soccer, track, basketball, you name it. They're called the head coach, but they're the manager of the whole operation. 
they're responsible for it all. They're recruiting, they're responsible for whether or not the kids graduate from college and go into class. They have the big broad picture. But when I say, I would like to coach you, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel like, hey, I've got an advocate, somebody who wants to see me do well. If I say I want to manage you, you're like, oh, shit, what's that mean? Like, what's he going to do to me to get me to do what I want? You know, we, it's a different orientation. So those would be the two big movers that I, that I would recommend. Well, and I, and I hear the word manage and, and as a title. I always, uh, I, I, I'd say, okay, are you a manager or are you a leader? Or are you a manager? Are you a, a, a coach or a mentor? Meaning, are you here to help me get better? so that everyone around me can get better? If that's the case, sign me up. But I believe you manage process and you lead people. And to your point, you, you just said it, coaching is all about coaching people. But a coach or a mentor or leader in my, in my belief, and I am a leadership coach, I am an executive consultant. So I do it for a living and I, I love the word. I believe it would be hard for us to change the word manager because so many people aspire to becoming I'm a manager. I've arrived. You know, I'm I'm good at sales. I'm good at this, and and now I'm managing people. Well, unless you really have, and I, and I love what you said, Mark. Unless someone has a history or experiencing in helping other people get better or are focused on their well well being, they have no business leading, coaching, or mentoring. So, in short, sh share with us how do we get your book? obviously Amazon, but again, repeat the title. Uh, and then uh, just your last parting words to, to the folks out there that are, they're just entering the, wor the world of potential coaching or leadership or mentoring. What's one, one piece of advice uh, you, you would give them as to where to seek information about how to be a better leader? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, somebody read my book, few years ago, five or six years ago. And he said, do you know anybody who could coach me? And honestly, I just, I didn't have the breadth of knowledge to know who to recommend in my world. And, and uh, I just said, you know, I really don't think that I could give you a name, one name. I just, I don't know that. That's, and he came back and he goes, well, I was really asking if you would coach me. Hmm. <laughs> so I was like, oh, and I go, well, I really don't do that. And, and I said, but I've done it my whole time career with people that work for me. That was part of my investment in them. I said, I just don't really feel like I have the time. So I'm sorry, I can't do it. About a week later, I started thinking about it. And I thought, you know what, it would be worthwhile for me to do it, just to have an interaction with somebody, you know, like applying my trade, not in a chunked up version, but in a little person to person. So I started doing that and then another client come to me and said, I've got five people that I want you to coach. And this is someone that I've known for 25, almost 30 years. And he just trusts me with anything he asked me to do. And he goes, I really, I don't have the time and I need you. I know you're gonna be able to do it. And I was like, same dilemma. I don't know that I can pull this off and do it. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, I'm gonna do it because of the favor for you. I scheduled them very first thing in the morning, Monday, boom, 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 boom. They have the rest of the week. Right. And here's what I've learned. Everybody is so different. Mm -hmm. So I can't coach you in one way. And then my nine o'clock call is, you know, giving you the same advice. And my 10 o'clock call is the same advice. Everybody is processing it different. The relationships are different. Their needs are different. 
And so the more you coach, the more you sit down with people and just say, hey, how can I take what I know about what you're doing and help you become better at it? Mm -hmm. You will become a better leader by doing that because you just, you be, you realize it's, it's so much intention on being present with that person and making a difference that's meaningful to that person. And then wiping off the board for the next conversation and having a completely different experience. And that's the way we should have been managing all along. And that's what people are desperate for. And so, you know, people listening to this, you don't have to be the greatest salesperson or the greatest architect to be a great manager. No. You just have to have the heart for it. No pun intended. Amen. No, no, no. And, and again, let's give your, give your book a, a, a plug. It's called Leap. There's the book. There it is. Leave it up there just for a second. And as he's doing this, if you follow Mark C. Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y on Twitter, you'll see that I don't go by the rule book. I lead from the heart, not from the head. And that was, uh, that's, that's what Mark stands for. Mark, you're just a, you're a hell of a man. I, I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Thank you for giving me another chance on this podcast. And uh, I just really appreciate who you are and what you stand for. I look forward to seeing the, the, your, uh, your new book. And to everybody out there listening, again, this has been uh, Greg Aiden with Aiden Leadership. My guest today was Mark Crowley. Look him up on Twitter, uh, Mark C. Crowley. And then also don't forget on April 28th, the Leadership Development Series kicks off with part one, focusing on women in leadership and the vision of young and emerging leaders. And uh, look below here for the link. It's uh, or come to my website, aidenleadership.com forward slash events, and you'll see the registration link. Look forward to seeing you there. And again, Mark, thank you very much for uh, our time today and God bless. I enjoyed it. Nice to see you, Greg, and best of success to you. Thank you.